chapter, uh, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid before his eyes. To him who we must give an account. So Lord, as we read your word this evening, as we think about it, as we seek to understand it, interpret it, and apply it to our lives, help us to remember just how powerful your words are. And be active. May those words be active and alive in our hearts tonight. May they penetrate. May they judge. May they expose our hearts so that we might walk more closely with you, that we might honour you not just with our lips but with our lives as well, that we might bring honour and glory to your name. Amen. I wonder whether you remember bringing home your school report. <laughs> I remember pondering if I should open it and read it first so that I was prepared for the questions that might come. But the envelope wasn't addressed to me, it was addressed to my parents, so I didn't open it. And when my parents got home, when well, they were too busy to open it, they needed to make tea and then we had to talk about the day. Then eventually we'd sit down and they'd open the brown envelope, pull out the report, and we'd read it together. And I knew with my school report, it always started well, but there was always the but that I was waiting for, the nevertheless, the however. I knew it would start well, but there would be a but. They would hit you with something. However, not all school reports move from positive to negative. Listen to these school reports of some, of some famous people. John Lennon, one of the Beatles, his school report said, certainly on the road to failure, hopeless, rather a clown in class, wasting other people's time. Eric Morecambe, the famous comedian, his school report said, I hate to say this, but Eric will never get anywhere in life. And of Winston Churchill, his teacher wrote, he has no ambition. We don't always like to hear what the teacher really thinks about us. We don't mind the nice bits, but we'd rather not hear where we need to improve or the things we need to address. But actually, we need to listen to criticism of our teachers, of our friends, of our spouses even. Because if we want to learn and grow, then we need to weigh up carefully what others say about us. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus is talking to his people, the church. He's saying what he thinks about them. Now, there are seven letters for seven churches, and we're on number three. And as we've said before, the number seven is a perfect number for the Jewish people. It gives the idea of completeness. And these seven churches are then representative of all churches throughout the world. And the letters are instructions for all churches down through history. These truths apply to us today. These letters written to the seven churches are Jesus' report on our church today in 2017. 
So we need to listen to them to hear what the Spirit might be saying to us today. I think there are three key messages for us. And if they're helpful for you, I've got three headings. First of all, Jesus says uh, he knows where we live. Secondly, he knows how we live. And thirdly, he knows what we need to live. So first of all, he knows where we live. Jesus' message for the church in Pergamum, a city in what is now known as Turkey, was, I know where you live. Jesus stands among the lampstands, the churches, and he says to us today, I know where you live. He's not distant. He's a God that's in our midst. Have you ever thought that Jesus knows about the street where you live? He knows about our communities, the challenges and opportunities we have. He knows about our difficult neighbours. He knows about our workplaces. He knows about the staff room politics, the pressure to compromise in our businesses, the difficult colleague which makes it difficult for us to be a Christian. He knows about the difficult family situations we, may ha- we might have, the things we can't tell other people because we're too ashamed. He knows where we live and he knows about our lives. This, I think, is an encouraging message for us. About a year ago, um, I heard a Pakistani minister from Lahore speak on this passage. And he described what it's like to go to church on Sunday in a place called Yohanabad, which is a suburb of Lahore. You might remember back in 2015, there was a terrorist attack on two churches in Yohanabad, um, killing 15 people and wounding 70 others. Those 70 who were wounded, those who who are still alive, are still struggling, still coming to terms. We forget that, don't we? We hear about a, a terrorist attack, and then we just move on to the next one. And actually, The impact of that attack goes on for years and years and years. And so it is for those Christians in Yohanabad. The church um, now, this Christian minister described it, and I've, I've visited Pakistan 18 months ago and saw it for myself. The churches are now surrounded by armed police officers on a Sunday. And on the roof of this particular church in Yohanabad, they now have um, snipers sitting behind um, sandbags. So as you walk up the church, you look up and you see a man with a gun sitting behind a pile of sandbags. And as you enter church, you have to go through a metal detector. You can't take any bags or books into church. And you'd think, wouldn't you, that would put people off going to church. You'd think that people would stay away if they were those kind of risks, if it meant you know going to church. And yet, church attendance has increased I used to attend a service down in Karachi in the cathedral on a Thursday night. It was called Praise and Prayer. And we probably have about 15 or 20 people there each week. I went back there two years ago, and the, the church was absolutely full, packed with people. And they, they pray in this Korean style of prayer. I don't know whether you, you, you're aware of the, way that the Korean style, where everybody stands up and everybody, does, everybody prays out at once aloud. It sounds chaotic, but it's wonderful to hear it. Um, And I was amazed that the church was full, despite life being more difficult for the Christians uh, in Pakistan. And this Pakistani minister, as he was preaching from this passage, he said how encouraging these these words were for him as a church leader living in Yohanabad. 
Jesus knows where we live. And I'm sure they're an encouragement to us as well in the places that he puts us in this week. But Jesus has something else to say. Let's have a look. Um, Sorry, in verse 13. He says, I know where you live, in the place where Satan has his throne. At face value, this is less encouraging. The place where Satan lives. Pergamum was an interesting place. It was a capital of the Roman province of Asia and the first place outside Rome to have a temple dedicated to the worship of the Roman emperor. It was known as a center for Caesar worship. In addition to that, there was multiple temples dedicated to to different pagan gods. So the combination of it being a center of Roman military power, worship of the emperor and temples to pagan gods earned it the description as the place where Satan has his throne. But perhaps this helped people make sense of their world. They're trying um, to shine for Jesus in the places where they were living, but it was hard. And you can imagine them saying, ah, yeah, that makes sense. No wonder it's hard to live here as a Christian. They were under enormous pressure. Last week we heard that persecution was coming to the church in Smyrna. But this week we read that it's already arrived in the church at Pergamum. And yet we read in verse 13, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. What a great message that was to hear from Jesus. The original recipients of this message knew just how hard it was to remain true to Jesus' name. As Roman citizens, once a year, they had to go to the magistrate's court and publicly declare that Caesar was Lord. And that was hard for a Christian. A Christian can only say that Jesus is Lord. And yet, he says, they've remained true. He's saying, well done, you've remained strong in my name, despite all the pressures. And there'd been one believer who had lost his life for his faith. We can read it in the passage. His name was Antipas, and we know very little about this man, apart from the fact that he was a faithful witness. At the end of verse 13, again, it emphasized, he says, he was put to death in your city where Satan lives. It could be that he refused to say, Caesar is Lord. I don't know what life is like for you. Perhaps you spend your week in an office which is antagonistic to Christians. Or perhaps you have to travel to places where it's hard to be a Christian. Or maybe life is difficult for you at home if you're the only Christian in your family. And it's difficult, you suffer for it. But be encouraged this evening. If you own Jesus as Lord, and stay faithful, then these words are for you too. Jesus knows and sees you as a faithful witness. But we're getting to that bit of the report which says, but. The bit of the report where we're suddenly uh, urged to sit up and listen. As Jesus says, he knows how we live. Let's read verse 14. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So it wasn't just persecution that was a danger to the believers in this church at Pergamum. There was another risk that was much more insidious a risk that came not externally, but internally. 
The danger wasn't just from outside, but it was from within as well. Some of them were following the false teaching of Balaam and Nicolaitans. And it seems that both of these teachings were very similar. But what was their teaching? Well, Balaam is rather an intriguing character in the Old Testament, and it's a very strange story. If you want to read about it, not now, but some other time, uh, Numbers 22 to, 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 to cha- num- sorry, Numbers chapter 22 to 25 will tell you the story. But let me try and tell you, summarize what happened and where this warning comes from. After leaving Egypt, the children of Israel have been wandering through the wilderness. And as they wander, they get involved in battles with local kings. And one of those kings was very anxious about the new kids on the block, the children of Israel. That king's name was Balak, and he was a king of Moab. So Balak, the king of Moab, calls Balaam. And Balaam is a non-Jewish prophet who blesses and curses people. So Balak, the king of Moab, thinks, I will call him and get him to curse the children of Israel. But Balaam seeks the Lord and he opens his mouth and what comes out is blessing for the children of Israel. And this happens three times. He can't help but bless them. So Balaam then gives some advice to Balak, the king of Moab. He says, if you want to trap them, this is how you do it. Get some of the Moabite women to go into the children of Israel's camp and before long they will be eating food offered to idols and committing sexual adultery. Attack them from inside, seduce them to sin, and God will then judge and punish. And there you go, job done. So what's that got to do with the church? Why was that a warning for this first century church? Well, it's the same tactic that still works remarkably well today. It seems that there were some in the church at Pergamum who were teaching that it was fine to indulge in sexual immorality and the worship of other gods. They were saying, just do whatever you like. God won't mind. He's a loving God after all. These false teachers, they weren't taking away from Christianity, but they were presenting an improved, a modernized version of it. And what does Jesus say? Look in verse 16. He says, repent. We know to repent is to stop, to turn around, to go in the other direction, to own up where we've been wrong, to recognize where we've gone against what God says, to receive his forgiveness and help to live in his way. Jesus is saying stop being enticed by a modern version of the gospel. Turn around and follow the teaching of the awesome Jesus that we read about in chapter 1. Otherwise, we read, he will return and fight against us. These are strong words. But we've heard the commendation from Jesus. We've heard the correction from Jesus. And finally, we hear the challenge from Jesus. The challenge to help them live in the place where God has put them. Finally, we see that Jesus says, he knows what we need to live in verse 17. Let's read that together. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name on it, known only to the one who receives it. So Jesus promises that he will give two things to the faithful or the victorious ones. 
And we've seen that the victorious ones are the ones that have repented. They've stopped going their own way. They've turned around and they're going God's way. And to those he promises two things, hidden manna and a white stone with a new name on it. So let's start with the first. What is this manna? Well, of course we know, I don't need to tell you. Um, If we go back into the history of the Jewish people, as they wandered through the wilderness, God provided food for them. It was known as manna. God fed his people with food that dropped out of the sky. Each morning they were collected. Sorry, that falling down. That was something. Each morning they were collected, and it was enough food for that day. It was a sign of God's grace and a provision as they walked through the wilderness. And manna was a picture of how God provided bread from heaven to sustain his people. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And Jesus was saying that he was a spiritual food that these Christians needed as they lived in Pergamum, a place that felt like a spiritual wilderness. Whatever the challenges we face this week, whatever wilderness we might find ourselves in, we have Jesus. And whenever we turn away from God's ways, we have Jesus ready to forgive and restore us again. Whatever the disappointments and loss we face in the places we'll be this week, we have Jesus. Whatever the joys or sorrows that life throws at us, we have Jesus, the bread of life. Whatever temptations we face to compromise in our faith this week, we have Jesus to help us stand firm. He is the hidden manna to sustain us in the hard and the barren situations that we may find ourselves in. And secondly, Jesus promises a white stone with a new name on it. Now there are lots of different explanations of what this white stone might be. Um, A lot of people, a lot of commentators write about um, one of the local customs in Pergamum was to give a a special kind of invitation card when you're inviting someone to a party. They would give out a small white stone which had the guest's name written on the stone. So this this verse may be referring to this this cultural thing that, that happened in their city. But of course, the new name, that could refer to Jesus' name, or it could be referred to the new identity that we have in Christ, the new name that we've been given in Christ. I I don't know which one it is, but I think what I would rather emphasize is not so much the meaning of the white stone and the new name, but the intention behind it. So to help us understand what, what what it might mean, we need to ask the question, what is it that both gifts signify? And I think both of these gifts, the bread and the white stone, both signify the gift of intimacy with Jesus. The opportunity for us to know Christ. Do you know this Jesus? Jesus is in the midst of his church, walking among the lampstands. But he also relates to us as individuals. How wonderful that we can know Christ that we can talk to him in the middle of the night when we can't sleep, that we can talk to him in the midst of a difficult situation at work or at home, that as we read his words each day, he speaks into our hearts and lives. Let's keep listening. Whoever has ears, let them hear 
what the Spirit says to the churches. Finally, the word revelation means to, to draw back the curtain, to open the tin and see what's inside. And as we read these letters to the ancient churches, we need to listen to what the Spirit is saying to us today. What is being revealed about Jesus that we need to hear today? In the letter to the church in Pergamon, we learn that Jesus knows where they live. We learn that Jesus knows where they have gone wrong and calls them to repent. We learn that Jesus gives of himself to his people. So as we go into work or whatever we are doing this next week, whatever we face, whether it be conflict from outside of ourselves or turmoil within ourselves, or we may face temptation to compromise our faith, let us be people who stay faithful, who are quick to repent, who receive the grace of Jesus in our lives and live for his glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. And thank you for that we can say that, that we know Jesus and we, we know there's so much more to know and understand and grasp, but thank you, Lord, that you've made it possible for us to know your son, Jesus Christ, and that Jesus strengthens us, strengthens us inwardly to face all the challenges that we have, all the difficulties. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us your son, Jesus, living bread to sustain us each day. And as we begin this week, thank you, Lord, that you go into the week with us. We don't go alone. And in our different places that we will find ourselves in this week, Lord, we pray that we would know your presence and your strength, your enabling, that you would empower us to live lives worthy of our calling, that we might give honour and glory to you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.